We sing about the love of Jesus and how his love is like a river. So are you ready for your judgment? Because that's what St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians chapter 5 is talking about. The individual judgment that every human being, Christian or non-Christian, will undergo at the, men, the moment of their death. So as we talk about the particular judgment, the judgment that happens to us when we die and will be revealed to everybody at the general judgment at the end of time, it's important to understand that this is the context in which Jesus is discussing parables and the growth in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus talks in parables. Everybody thinks Jesus talks in parables so everybody will understand him. But in chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says it's just the opposite. So what's he playing? Hide the pea? Uh, if a particular judgment is coming, don't you want to know what it's about? But Jesus says that he speaks to the disciples in parables so people outside will not understand. The reading from the Gospel of Mark today is about growth. It's about sowing seeds and mustard seeds. But at the end, what it's about is about our growth in faith, not fear, trust in God. So the particular judgment, the role of the church in the kingdom of God, and how the spiritual life grows in each of us. This is the subject of Voral Valley Catholic for the 11th Sunday of Ordinary Time. The particular judgment, did the popes make this stuff up? No, it comes right from St. Paul, and it is a further understanding of how Jesus talks about judgment, especially in Matthew 25, when he says the sheep will uh, go to his right and the goats to his left. But in the particular judgment, as it's talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 10, here's what it says in the very last part, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense according to what he did in the body, whether good or evil. So each must appear. That means it's universal. It's everybody. That it's the judgment. That is the judgment seat of Christ, not like the moderns say, we really all judge ourselves, not according to Jesus and St. Paul. And it's individual. Nobody there to hide behind so that each one will be judged, St. Paul says. And then that we might re receive a reward for what we've done that's good and punishment for what's evil. This is right, comes out of all the Gospels. And so that when we are rewarded or what we are punished for, it's for what we have done in the body, quote, end quote. And so the particular judgment, how to understand the Christian faith, we're saved by grace. We are judged by what we do. And so to separate faith and works is, it's playing word games. The reality is moving from just head knowledge to our heart, how we understand it. So think about it. And I know this is a scary thing to think about. We have lots of Catholic kids now that just decide they're not going to practice their faith. 
And we all think it's a problem of catechesis, we say. But the real problem is, is they've been given head knowledge. How is it that it becomes part of your heart? Uh, how is it that something you understand that Jesus says now becomes something you believe and trust in? So we're going to turn to chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to pay attention to the entire chapter and what Mark is trying to tell us. Practice what you preach, oh preacher man. The Gospel of Mark, they call it the Action Gospel, because in the Action Gospel, Jesus does this, and then immediately he turns and does this, and then he does this. But there are two major discourses, that is, where Jesus sits and teaches and explains. And the very first one is Mark 4, and that's why we should take Mark chapter 4 and just pay attention to it and ask why the church divides it up into chapter 4 the way that it does. So if you were to open your Bible to Mark chapter 4, here's the first read, the first part, verse 1 of Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. On another occasion, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he taught them at length in parables, and in the course of his instruction, he said to them, Hear this, a sower went out to see. Now, just stop with those first three verses. What's the image you have? Jesus is probably sitting on Simon Peter's boat, and he's speaking out over the sea. If you were just do historical criticism, you would probably, as I was taught, say, well, the way he does that is his voice bounces off the water and more people can hear him if he's sitting out on the edge of lake and talking. That's why you should be careful when you're talking sitting in a boat because your voice carries. But if you go back to the Old Testament, what you find out is it's the, vo the, the Lord's voice comes out over the sea uh, the Lord speaks over the sea. And so the image you have is the Lord's voice is coming over this primordial sea, the sign of chaos. And then he says, hear this, or is in um, Exodus chapter 6, Shema Israel, hear, O Israel. And here's what the Lord says when he says, hear, O Israel. A sower went out to sow. And you know the story, you've heard it a hundred times, haven't you? A sower goes out to sow, some of, the, some of the seed is eaten by birds, some falls on rocky ground, some falls on a, on a pathway and is trampled underfoot, some falls on good ground and it uh, yields a hundred or ninety fold, you know, a hundred or three hundred fold, this vast um, uh, produce. And then, here's what this, the uh, disciples say to him. They ask him, why is it that you speak in parables? And here's what he says. He answered them, the mystery of the kingdom of God has been granted to you. But to those outside, everything comes in parables. So that they may look and see, but not perceive, and hear and listen, but not understand in order that they may not be converted and be forgiven. Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how you understand any of the parables? That's Mark 4, 
verses 11 to 13. That's just before the story that's in the gospel today. Why am I telling you about this? Because that passage refers back to a similar passage in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 2 to 12. And this is the call how Isaiah becomes a prophet. And you'll see the link between Jesus in Mark 4 and the great prophet Isaiah in uh, chapter 6 of, of the book of Isaiah. Seraphim were stationed above. Each of them had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they hovered. One cried out to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's where we get our uh, prayer and mass. All the earth is filled with his glory. Doesn't that sound familiar? So at the sound of the cry, the frame of the door shook and the house was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, I am doomed, for I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, holding an ember, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it, See, he said, now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, your sin purged. Think of purgatory. It's rooted right in the Old Testament, the use of fire to purge. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here I am, I said, send me. Isaiah wrote the song, you know, here I am, Lord, but I'm just adding editorial comments. And he replied, Go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Look intently, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people sluggish. Dull their ears and close their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and their heart understand, and they turn and be healed. How long, O Lord, I asked, and he replied, until the cities are desolate without inhabitants, houses without people and the land is a desolate waste until the Lord sends the people far away, and great is the desolation in the midst of the land. And so in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is using the same phrase as Isaiah. And what does it mean? Well, this is an Isaiah judgment prophecy. Why is Jerusalem destroyed and all the Jews are sent off to Babylon? Because if you want to build the kingdom, if you want to build a people open to the kingdom, you got to tear them down to the frame. It's like doing a restoration of a car. You got to get all the rust off. And the way that you do that is that you separate them from the land. You get them off to a different land. You sit them down and you get their attention. This is the role that suffering plays in the people of Israel. And just think about it. Through the entire history, they're conquered by the Egyptians, they're conquered, they fight with the Canaanites, they're conquered by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, they're conquered by the Greeks, they're conquered by the, Rome, the Romans. Uh, to be chosen by God is to be chosen for a life of suffering. But the idea, according to Isaiah, is it's about purgation, it's about cleansing, uh, and it's about getting the attention of the people. Because, wow, just look and think about how easy it is to take God and his holy word for granted. What Karl Marx, the communist, used to call 
middle-class morality. That's what bourgeois morality is. Bourgeois morality is you have all these religious ideas that simply affirm your lifestyle in the United States. Um, because, you know, when you go to heaven, it's just 101 flavors of yogurt and a nice condo. That is not what following God is. He's always attacking our sureties. And so, coming up to the gospel for today, Jesus says this, and this is Mark chapter 4, um, verse 34. And the gospel today goes from 26 to 34. So this is how the gospel ends today. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to understand it. Without parables, he did not speak to them, but to his own disciples, he explained everything in private. So when he's speaking, this is why the chief priests, the scribes, they all go, if you're the Messiah, just declare it. Why don't you just tell us? Because he would tell his disciples what he was about to the extent they could understand it. But to everybody else, he held them off until he had gone through his crucifixion and resurrection because that's what he came to do. So now let's just take a step back from what I just told you. So remember how it starts, the chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark. It starts with the voices, the Lord's voice coming over the waters. Shema Israel. And he talks about someone sowing. And so who's the sower? Well, son of man. Jesus is the sower. And what are we supposed to take out of that? Well, he explains it to his disciples. It's, um, hey, some people hear the word of God, but they get so caught up in their anxieties um, that they just push it back to second, third, fourth. Finally, ultimately, it's out of their life. Or these people aren't going to listen anyway. They don't care. This is the the, the rocky soil. Or um, they hear the word and uh, someone comes along and undermines it in their life. But there is this portion that will always fall on good ground. And this is where the kingdom grows. And that brings us to the part of Mark that we're reading today. And it's uh, verses 26 to uh, 34. And this is the gospel, if you remember it. Jesus said to the crowds, this is how it is with the kingdom of God. It is as if a man were to scatter seed on the land and would sleep and rise night and day and through it all the seed would sprout and grow, he knows not how. Of its own accord the land yields fruit, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, he wields the sickle at once, for the harvest has come. And then he said, To what shall we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use for it? It's like a mustard seed that when it's sown in the ground is the smallest of the seeds on the earth. And once it's sown, it springs up and becomes the largest of plants and puts forth large plants, large branches, so that the birds of the sky can dwell in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to understand it. Without parables, he did not speak to them, but to his own disciples, he explained everything in private. So the seed, the sower, part one, the scatterer of the seeds, how does it get growth? Always understand parables, both that he's speaking to his disciples and he's talking about their relationship with God, but he's also talking about the relationship of the kingdom of God with the larger world. The Catholic Church is the visible sign of the kingdom of God, but the church is constituted 
by everybody who's baptized, Presbyterians, Methodists, Orthodox. This is the whole church. But that ministry of Peter, this is the visible part of the church. How does it grow? Well, if you've been paying attention over the last uh, 21 centuries, wow, it's been through suffering. Uh, the church has been persecuted. And even when it rises up, it's like at its worst. And then it's persecuted again and beaten down. We're going through a time that's very difficult. But this is consistent with how God treats his people. And so why be afraid of it all? Just say, this is how growth in the world happens. The world is dominated by evil. It's a good place that is corrupted by evil. And so the growth... Well, it's like the church in China. The growth is in secret. It takes patience. But there are always hearts that are open to the gospel. Now, the second part about scattering seeds again. Not the church universal, but how about in your life and my life? Can you see how growth has occurred? Sometimes you don't exactly know how you got there. You can think of the people who have had a great influence on you. But the kingdom of God is, I hope, growing in each of you, or while you're listening to this podcast. But that the idea is look back on the things that really obsessed you, maybe when you were 16 years old. Hopefully at your age, um, you recognize that that stuff is still a temptation. It just doesn't dominate you. Something is growing in your life. And so what's a key thing about the spiritual life? both as you look out at the work of the church in the world, especially when things are happening that might tend to upset you, or you look at it in your own life. Patience, because fundamentally, this is God's work. But you're supposed to help scatter seeds. Your job isn't, as St. Teresa of Calcutta said, to be successful, it's to be faithful. And to, to be a witness by what you say and how you do. But then there's the second part of the this, of this story. He talks about the mustard seed. And if you remember the very first reading uh, for this Sunday, if you go to it at, the say, the USCCB site, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops has all the daily readings if you want to follow on this. It's a story from Ezekiel about God, I too will take from the crest of the cedar, from its topmost branches, tear off a tender shoot, and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it. It shall put forth branches and bear fruit, and become a majestic cedar. Birds of every kind shall dwell beneath it, every winged thing in the shade of the boughs. It's the same story that Jesus is telling about the mustard seed, isn't it? The smallest of seeds, and it'll have this... Um, mustard tree that'll grow up and the birds of the air will be in it. That was what the reading was. Why didn't he just talk about the Leban uh, cedars of Lebanon? Well, he's telling us to be realistic, I think. If you go back to Ezekiel 17 and 31, where this metaphor that God will take a, a sprig from a cedar of Lebanon, a cedar of Lebanon can grow to be 130 foot tall and he'll plant it on Mount Zion, and there it'll, it'll grow and it'll be this uh, mighty thing. Well, if you understand it as um, uh, Judaism, Christianity, the uh, Islam, the people of the book, you know, 
a lot of birds fly in there, but not all exactly on the same page. There's ways to understand that, uh, that prophecy from Ezekiel and to see how the faith of the people of Israel has given rise uh, to these three religions, modern Judaism, modern Christianity, and modern Islam. Um, but in this, this chapter from 17, um, it starts out with that uh, Babylon is the eagle that takes a shoot of this cedar and takes it over to Babylon. And then it comes back because um, the parables explain the people have betrayed their uh, agreement with Babylon. Now the eagle will come a second time and he's going to take away a sprig of the cedar of Lebanon. In short, it's a reference to how the people of Israel were forced to relocate uh, to Babylon and work as slaves for the Babylonian Empire. This great eagle is Babylon. So when in Ezekiel, God's talking about, well, I'm going to come and I'm going to get a sprig and I'm going to plant it. Um, he's talking about bringing to fruition his, his work. And so as with all prophecies, it appeals to the imagination. And for us who have had, well, about 2,600 years between us and Ezekiel, maybe 2,700 years, and you look at what's happened from a people disgraced and destroyed to Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, uh, it, it's a pretty powerful statement. So why doesn't G Jesus just jump on that? Why doesn't he say you're going to be the cedar of Lebanon? Because the cedar of Lebanon could be 130 foot tall. A, a mustard uh, tree is 10 foot tall. Well, he doesn't explain the parable, does he? But the idea of the mustard seed, something small, is something about the spirituality of being a Christian. And it's something about what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to serve. The church is supposed to take care of people. The church is supposed to first and foremost proclaim who Christ is. The church does lots of things, right? It, it's battling with the, uh, the, the current uh, democratic regime right now. Um, it's trying to help people on the border. It's, it's fighting the death penalty. It's doing all sorts of things. But that's not fundamentally why the church is in the, in the world. Um, what we're in the world to do is to proclaim Christ Jesus uh, and him crucified. That's the mission of the church. The world has never really listened to the gospel. Um, it's given lip service often enough. Uh, and this whole thing about why do I speak in parables? Because uh, God is not looking for people who give lip service. It's people who love their children. It's people who care for the sanctity of life, even on death row or on the border. Uh, this is the characteristic of the Christian, what we do. And uh, I have very profound um, misgivings about angry denunciations of the world. I don't know that anyone converts because they've been angrily denounced. Um, I think what we need to do is we need to live, as, live our faith and take care of moms who are pregnant, uh, support families. Uh, we need to counsel those who are, are doubtful in thinking about abortions, uh, to steer them away from the cliff. Uh, but at the heart of this chapter four 
is the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower, horrible things happen. Uh, seeds trampled underfoot, birds eat it, it falls in infertile uh, soil. And so how is it that we uh, evangelize the world? Well, remember, this is all in the context of Paul's particular judgment. Uh, we're not judged on what we say we believe. We're judged on what we do. And so as we bring this to an end, I want to finish what I started. Because at the end, I told you about Jesus sitting on the sea and saying, Shema, here is Rael. And so let's turn now to how the, God, the uh, chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark concludes. Practice what you preach Oh, preacher man Practice what you preach Oh, lay person Don't you understand And so how to read Mark 4? Read it as sandwiched between the beginning, which is Jesus sitting on the sea and teaching, and the end, which is the story of the calming of the storm at sea. So listen now to how chapter 4 of Mark ends. On that day, as evening drew on, he said to them, Let us cross to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with, with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. A violent squall came up, and waves were breaking over the boat so that it was already filling up. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Quiet, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? They were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this whom even wind and sea obey? Well, it's the same one who sat on the sea and his voice thundered over the waters, just like God in the Psalms. And he said, Hear, O Israel. And he laid out how the kingdom of God grows, the story of the sower and the seed, scattering seed with slow, patient growth, that um, it's, it's in unassuming ways. It's not the cedar of Lebanon. It's a mustard seed. And that these stories are so that we will understand. But do you think the disciples understand? Do you think Christians today understand? Well, I think that's an open question. And so the particular judgment, because Jesus has told us how the kingdom of God is going to grow, both in the world and in our hearts. And so to have some patience with them, to to listen to what he says. Why are you terrified? Have you no faith? Because it's faith, not fear, that saves us. We are saved by faith, judged by deeds, St. Paul says. Um, Jesus says the same thing in, in the Gospels. Uh, we will be judged by what we do and what we don't do. Angry denunciations, this is not the voice of Christ. Working patiently for the kingdom, this is the work of Christians. And so how do we go from head knowledge where we're so convinced of the Catholic faith to heart knowledge that we actually live it? Well, how about this? The head knowledge that the Pope uh, is the uh, vicar of Christ, 
um, the living voice of authority, even when he's telling us something we don't want to hear. That's head knowledge. Heart knowledge is when you stop and listen, because oftentimes when it comes to faith, we don't always understand, just like the disciples who Jesus has to speak in parables, because the growth in faith and understanding um, is a slow and patient growth. And so to say that we don't understand or we're concerned about what this priest is doing or what the Pope is saying, the first thing we have to address is whether or not we have a properly formed conscience. Because if the Holy Father is telling us something about morals and we want to disagree with them, it might be that our consciences are what is twisted and not the Holy Father's. And so attending to uh, these jolts that sometimes we can get in faith and say, okay, all right, all right, maybe I'm not looking at this right because this is what gospel uh, of Mark are about. Everybody wants certainty. Everybody wants to be the one on the inside understanding. But we have to ask, you know, where we are on, on um, when Jesus is teaching on the sea. Are we paying attention? Or are you paying attention to the, when the bishops and the pope teach us? So everybody has to make choices. This is what the particular judgment is about. We make choices on a properly formed conscience. And when we choose not to either listen to our properly formed conscience or we choose to ignore things that would challenge our improperly formed conscience. We think we understand when in fact we don't. Well, these are things that we're going to be judged about at the particular, at the particular judgment. Pope, bishop, priest, and laity. I'll throw the deacons in there too. And our lay ministers. So we have to make choices because St. Paul said that we are going to be judged at the end, both in this universal judgment for each and every single person rewarded or punished by what we did in the body, whether good or evil, but what we did in the body. You know, I think we all want to think that we are uh, at complete Christian maturity, but each of us might accept that we st we're alive because we still have some things to learn, and more or just as importantly is we have some things we have to do, and that is to live a life of faith, hope, and charity. Because that last story about the calming of the sea, which will be our gospel for next week, reminds us of what Jesus tells us even after the resurrection. Faith, not fear. So practice what we preach. Oh, preacher man. This has been another production of Oral Valley Catholic, the admittedly top podcast in Northwest Oral Valley and parts of Marana. See you next week. Cause we understand that we might be the only Bible. Our neighbors might read.